and for the privilege and joy of being able to come and to share with you this morning. We're going to look at that passage that we read from Book of Acts, the very last verse, the last chapter of the Book of Acts. So if you'd like to get it out in your Bible, uh, that'd be great. Um, I prepared my sermon using the New International Version, so if I give one or two words slightly different, that's not because I disagree with the Bible you have, but it's just that that was the version that I used. Is that okay? Uh, But I've got it here so I can come back to it myself as well. Uh, Just before we look to God's Word, how about if I commit our time to the Lord? Father, we thank you that you have spoken so clearly to us through your Word and in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Father, as we look to that word now, give us grace not to take it lightly or carelessly, but do indeed give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we may know what it means to be healed in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm sure if I um, this morning said to you, uh, I have a bunch of air tickets here, free tickets to give away for you to go to Rome and spend two weeks in Rome. Would you all say, no, I don't want to go to Rome? Would that be true or not? Who wants to go to Rome? Oh, I think you... Who has been to Rome? Ah, large number has been, but even those that haven't been, we used to want to go as well, is that right? There's something about Rome, isn't there? Something about Rome. You know, most of my life has been tied up with Asia and Africa. Do you and with missions and and South America, and Europe never really was on my horizon ever. Uh, Growing up, it was Asia that the Lord put on my heart, and certainly not Europe. But a handful of years ago, my wife and myself went for first time to Europe with some other friends who really knew Europe. And I must say, I really enjoyed the time in Rome. It's one of those places, I think, that I would love to go back again, because I don't think you ever come to the end of seeing everything, you know, and being involved in everything, all the treasures and the art and the history, etc. It's interesting that when we think about Rome and, and, and when we realise that Paul wrote a letter to Christians in Rome, you know, the epistle to the Romans that we know, and, and Paul um, wrote that letter about 25 years after Pentecost, you know, after Jesus ascended into heaven and the Spirit came upon the disciples. Uh, you remember that at Pentecost, when the Spirit came, we're told that there were visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. So although we don't know positively, it's a safe assumption that a number of them went back to Rome and shared the gospel in Rome. So exactly how the church was established, we don't really know, but that's a safe assumption, don't you think so? That they would have gone back and shared the gospel back in Rome again. And it's interesting when Paul, 25 years later, writes his letter to the Christians in Rome, he says to them, I've been longing for you for many years to see you. And when you read the last chapter of Paul's letters to the Christians in Rome, there's a whole list of greetings to a large number of people that he already knew. So there was a lot of movement around and Rome was a key central place of the empire. And he says, I've been longing for many years to see you and I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through. Now that's very interesting to me because uh, my daughter is married to an Anglican clergyman and they have three children and they are missionaries in Spain. 
seeking to plant the church, replant the church again in Spain. So I'm always interested when I see something on Spain, right? And so it was on Paul's heart to go to Spain. He wrote to them. Now this is about three years later, we think, after he wrote that letter, that Paul is now coming to Rome. But he's not coming into Rome on his way to Spain. He's coming into Rome in chains for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. One of the the things that has really um, encouraged me over the years is to see how Paul was constantly thinking strategically for the gospel. He was thinking, okay, the gospel's been shared here, here is a place it's never been shared. Let's look to the Lord if we can go and share it there as well. He's constantly thinking strategically um, and and constantly being open to the leading of the Spirit. Uh, One of the things that I've learnt in ministry as very important was under God to think strategically. So, in at the parishes where I've been, we had a strategy for evangelism and we had a strategy of what material we were going to use and how we were going to reach out. But it always interested me over these years, the Lord never really understood our strategy. Do you? Uh-huh. Because people were coming to the Lord but not according to our strategy. Do you? The Lord was using other strategies. Did he not understand all the thinking and work we'd done do you, in this? But I've learnt not to be worried because because the Lord laid on our heart to have a strategy, no matter what the Lord did, when he brought people, we recognised what he was doing and we were prepared to change and modify our strategy. Does that make sense? And if you don't have a strategy and you're not out there and moving for gospel's sake, then the Lord can't lead you anywhere. Do you? And so he may have an, another place for you to go but unless you're out there moving, you won't even find the other place. Terribly important. The Lord had laid on our hearts Indonesia as young people, my wife and myself. And we were about to go to Indonesia to start Scripture Union work. But our eldest, our son was born and had some medical issues for a year. And so therefore we had to wait for a year. At the end of that year, that position had been filled in Indonesia. But then the Lord said, okay, no, you're going to Singapore. And two weeks before we were to go to Singapore, we got the message, no, you're going to Penang in Malaysia, right? And then we ended up in Penang. And then we were supposed to go to Kwantan or somewhere else, but the man who was at St George's got ill, had to go back to England, and there was discussions and so forth. And then the door opened to be in St George's Penang. We could never have planned that, dear. But if we'd never been on the road we would never have been there when the door opened. Does that make sense? Do you follow me there? And, and when you're wondering what is God's plan and purpose for my life, if you sit waiting for that to happen, you're still going to be sitting in the same place in 50 years' time. <laughs> you kind of have never moved. To be involved in gospel ministry, whatever way the Lord has for you within amongst his people here, get in and do it. Get involved in the ministry, right? And as you get involved, then the Lord can lead you. And isn't that what's happened to Paul? The Lord laid on his heart, Spain, because he's reached out with the gospel. And then when he comes to Rome, where is his heart? To reach out with the gospel. And the Lord opens special doors for him here in this place. You know, Luke's gospel, Luke wrote 
the Gospel according to St Luke and Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And in the Gospel according to St Luke, it talks about Jesus' ministry beginning in Galilee and moving to Jerusalem. Then when you pick up the second book, the book of Acts, it begins in Jerusalem and moves out to the far-flung corners of the earth, to Rome and then to the ends of the earth. It's no longer centred in a temple in Jerusalem. It's now the Holy Spirit indwelling his people, no matter where they are on the face of the earth. And the Lord bringing a people to himself from every nation, tribe, people and tongue. That's his plan. That's his purpose. Now the passage we're looking at the very end today is Paul, the final part of Paul's journey to go to Rome. Um, you, you would have looked last week at what happened in Malta, you know, where they were shipwrecked and everything else that occurred. And, and so this is some months later. Uh, it's still in winter, but coming toward the end of winter. And, and the centurion who's looking after Paul decides it's time to go. It's time to go. So he finds there's a ship from Alexandria, a grain ship. He talks to the, the uh, captain of that ship and they get passage on that ship. And they slowly move around from island to island until they come to uh, uh, Puteoli, which is down the very uh, down to it, towards Naples. If you know of Naples, there in in Italy, and that's where many people uh, got off the ships, and then you would walk to Rome, and that's exactly what occurred. It's interesting as you read the passages here, like in many parts of Acts. Uh, the writer's talking about we did this and we did this. Luke is part of this. And, and as I read this, um, it's very much an eyewitness. Yeah, he, he's the one who noticed uh, what was on the front of the ship, you know, the, 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 the uh, gods that were on the front of the ship. He was the one who noticed that we did this, then we did that, then we did the other thing. It's someone who was there. This is an eyewitness that we've got here, not someone making up a story. This is exactly what took place as they went step by step towards Rome. The, the wonderful thing is you read about this, that when they get to uh, the, near Naples, some of the brothers came out and took hold of us and said, let's spend a week and have rest. It's, it's interesting, all over the, the known world then, and it's true in the world today, in main centres you'll find little groups of Christians. Some places the churches may be big, others it may be small. But that's where people are passing through and it's wonderful to see the hospitality, automatically the hospitality that was given. It was recognised what they'd been through over those months of travelling and before you take this walk to Rome, come and have fellowship with us. It was about 65 kilometres they had to walk for the first bit and about 50 kilometres on for the next bit. And when they got along further toward Rome, there were those that had come from Rome to meet them and to walk with them to Rome. They were not ashamed of the Gospel and they weren't ashamed of Paul. That comes out loud and clear. They were not ashamed and they came out to meet and they came to walk with him. This is real hospitality. I've had the privilege of uh, visiting East Africa and West Africa a number of times and one of the things that, that has warmed my heart is that when you're walking and you're going to villages, especially in, in East Africa where I've done that more than anywhere else, uh, you would find that as soon as word goes along that you're coming, people would come out and walk with you. 
and then when you're leaving, they would want to walk with you a distance. You know, they just don't say, goodbye, let's catch you later. No, no, they came and walked with you. It's a mark of fellowship, you know, a mark of being with you. And, and you notice where Paul thanked God and he was encouraged by this hospitality. It, it's interesting how important hospitality is. Um, when when the, the Christians and the bishops and others that I met last week from Madagascar and, um, and when I said that I hope that I'll be able to come and I was able to get seats to, on a plane to get there, it's interesting how important it was for them that I actually were, I was going to their home, do you? Not just sending emails, do you? Right. Not just sending text messages and stuff like that, but, but actually going to spend time with them. And, um, and, and there were some, uh, church leaders in, in, um, East Africa, uh, one of the leaders, and I, we, I met him a few months ago and, a good friend, and he said, you know, you, you and your wife are good friends of ours um, because when we come to Sydney, you have us for a meal. I said, yes, we always have you and a group for a meal. He says, no, no, you, you, you forget. You have us and a group, but you also have us alone you know, for a meal. And hospitality is, is, some, is a work of the Spirit, is it not? That therefore our minds are not just caught up with ourselves, do you and just what fits with me and what I like. We're constantly reaching at how can we support, how can we encourage. And isn't the key way you support encourage often over a meal? Isn't that, isn't that what happens? That's the way you do it. And Paul was encouraged by this. And, and I want you to think about where are you as far as hospitality is concerned? It doesn't have to be big, lavish things at all. That's not the most important the most important that people feel, yes, I care. And yes, time, I want, I'm happy to give my time for you. Do you. I'm not in such a hurry that I have no time for you at all. I have time for you. And as we meet, let's pray together. Do you. Let's encourage each other in our walk in Christ. Really, really important. And so we're told, in verse 14, so we came to Rome. It's been a long journey going through Acts, has it not, that you had? <laughs> but you finally, you finally reached Rome. So we come to Rome. And Paul was allowed to live by himself, but there was a soldier. He was chained to a soldier. It was like house arrest, house arrest. Now, what is one of the first things that happened once he's now in Rome? He's under house arrest. He was able to rent a place and to be there and able, therefore, to have people come to him. And so three days later, having been there in verse 17, he called together the leaders of the Jews. Now, that's been Paul's model, hasn't it, all the way along as you've gone through the book of Acts. First of all, when he comes to a place, are there any Jews, are there any here who believe that they're the Lord's people? Let me start there because that's who the promise has been given of the Christ and they should hear that the Christ has come, that Jesus has come, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And so Paul works the same strategy here in Rome. He calls the leaders together. It's to the Jew first. You know, from inscriptions that people have read on the stones and everything, the ancient stones in Rome, it appears that there were at least 13 synagogues in Rome, Jewish synagogues around this time. So there were thousands of Jews living in Rome at this time. 
And so Paul says, my brothers, there's a genuine love and concern that he has for his fellow Jews. And for Paul, the gospel was for everybody. There were no distinctions for Paul. The gospel was to be shared with everybody. And so Paul explains why he is in chains in Rome. So let's just look at at verses 17, verse 17 to 20, and the second part of 17. Notice what he says. He says, Brothers, though though I'd done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, but there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because of the Jews' objections, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. He says, yes, charges were made against me. Uh, They were the charges that I'd done things wrong against the customs of our our people, against the customs of the Jews, and I'd done certain things wrong against Jewish people. These charges were brought and they were taken to, to the Roman court. But when the Romans tested the charges, they said there was nothing, nothing there. There was no case to be answered. But the Jewish leaders kept pressing and pressing and pressing that the Romans bring charges against me, you know, and charges of treason that would lead to me being executed. And so Paul said I had no choice but to appeal to Caesar. Paul, being a Roman citizen, had that, had that option. And he took that option to appeal to Caesar. Notice he says that I had no charge against my people. I have no wrong in my heart. I've got nothing in my heart against my people. And he says, for this reason, um, I have asked to see you because it's not because of those things that I'm here. I'm here because of the hope of Israel. Now, what do you think about when I say the hope of Israel? These Jews knew their Old Testament well. Who was going to be the hope of Israel? The Messiah, the Christ the one who is going to come and deliver his people, the one through whom salvation comes. The Old Testament talked about this one as being the hope of Israel. So he is alluding, he is saying, the reason I'm in chain is because we all agree as Jewish believers together that the Father, that God is going to send the hope of Israel. We all agree with that. And I'm here because I believe in the hope of Israel. (laughs) And I believe in the hope of Israel as you believe in the hope of Israel. Now, of course, as Paul goes on, he's going on to say, the hope has come, and he's come in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, I'm here in chains, not because of anything wrong I've done, I'm here in chains because I believe the same thing you believe, that God is going to send the hope of Israel. It's an ironic way that he's put it. Am I right when you read this? That's why I'm here. I'm here because we all agree with the same thing, the hope of Israel. It's not out of disloyalty to my people that I am here, but I'm here because of loyalty to the promise that God has given all of us. And that is that he will send the hope of Israel. It's interesting, the Jewish leaders become quite evasive, quite evasive. They give what one would call a political answer. 
I, I don't know whether your politicians in Malaysia are the same as years ago, like our politicians in Australia. They get asked a question and they say, let me first of all say this, which has nothing to do with the question. Do you? Is that right? That, that's a gift you have to have if you want to be a politician anywhere in the world. You've got to be able to talk but say nothing. That's very important. So nothing can be put against you later, right? It's the same all over and it's, it's human nature, is it not? It's, it's normal human nature. And so they give a little bit of a political answer, you will notice. Look in verse 21 down there. They said, and they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. They say, well, we're, 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 no letters have come to us. Uh, the visitors that have come of late, they haven't spoken about this issue that you've got. Um, uh, therefore, it's not really relevant to us. But okay, we'll, we'll listen to what you've got to say sometime. You know, We've heard about this sect that we know you're caught up with, the followers, do you know, the followers of the way. Um, and it's causing hassle everywhere amongst the Jews. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll be polite. We'll give you a little bit of time that we'll come and, and we'll listen to what you have to say. Then we're told that a couple of days later, a time is arranged and Paul meets with them. Paul meets with them. A day is arranged and for morning and evening, Paul declares and explains. He witnesses and he testifies to the kingdom of God to convince them that Jesus is the Christ, the king of the kingdom, and that this is clearly foretold in Moses and the prophet. This is no sect. This is not something that someone has thought up. You know, this is not a sect. This is God continuing to reveal who he is and to continue to reveal his plan and purpose and that plan and purpose is in Jesus Christ. And he preaches Christ, that he is both Lord and Saviour. We are no sect. This is the fulfilment of the promises concerning the kingdom and it's wrapped up in Jesus, who is the Messiah and his death and resurrection and ascension. He is the hope of Israel. He is Lord and he is Christ. We read that some were convinced and others would not believe. It's interesting, the tense of the verb that is used there gives the concept that some were convinced. In other words, some were in the process of saying, tell me more, it seems to fit, and I want to know more about it. I'm open to receive more. There are others who are saying, no, I already don't believe. The more you tell me, the more I won't believe. Do you? That's basically what the words are saying here. So there were some who were open for more, and some who, who, whose ears and eyes were shut, and the more you tell me, the more against it I'm going to be. Yeah, that, that was the thing that began to happen amongst them. And then, they, of course, there was a great disagreement amongst them as a result of this great disagreement. Um, and, and this same gospel has having this division as you've been reading through the book of Acts. But then Paul comes in verses 25-29, one last word. One last word. 
And can I say as we look at this word, as Paul speaks, it's a word in sorrow, it's not a word in anger. So it's not Paul ranting and raving. It's a word of a heavy heart, it's a word of sorrow, that those who actually have God's word have failed to hear and have failed to see. How sad that is. That's what this passage is saying. Notice he says in verse 25, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said, through Isaiah the prophet. Notice that scripture is very clear. The inspiration of scripture, it's the word of God himself. It's the word of the Spirit that came through Isaiah. He was merely the human nature, the human agent. And this was the truth. And the truth he spoke was relevant when he spoke the word then and it is, it is exactly relevant today when Paul is speaking it to these Jewish leaders in Rome. And can I say it's exactly relevant as you and I look at this passage today. It is a truth that holds as truth. Do you all through generations, from generation to generation. It is not a truth just for one particular time and no longer applicable. It is the truth spoken by the Spirit for every generation. That's what this is saying. That's the, the word of the Spirit. It is relevant to us all. It's in the 8th century BC that Isaiah spoke these words through the Spirit to the people of God. Uh, Jesus himself quotes this passage from Isaiah in his ministry as he goes around Galilee. Paul actually quotes from this passage in his letter to the Romans and now Paul is now sharing this passage as relevant again in the context of where he is in Rome. This prophecy is being fulfilled in one generation after another and still being fulfilled today. It will continue to be fulfilled until the Christ comes and the land is healed, which is what the end of the passage is saying. The problem is not the message. The problem is the hearer. That's the problem. Do you know? So that what he's saying, what God is saying, the problem is not the message. The problem is not the messenger. The problem is you. You are not hearing. You're not seeing. You are not perceiving the truth. You are ever hearing but never understanding. You are ever seeing but never perceiving. In other words, what Paul is saying to these Jewish elders, you go to the synagogue every Sabbath. You read Moses and the prophet. It is read Sabbath after Sabbath, do you know? You listen, you sit and read it at home. You're forever reading the promise concerning the Christ and the Messiah, but you've never seen what it really means and what's really happened. Ever seeing, but failing to see. Ever perceiving, it's being explained in the synagogue, Sabbath after Sabbath, but it doesn't get through to your brain. Do you, know? you know, this is sad. This is sad. You know, we have many many who claim to be Christian around the world who will be sitting in churches around the world today in every culture who will come, there's something in their heart that draws them, they will hear God's word but it won't click. That They will see for themselves but it won't 
click. Does that make sense to you? It, why? Why is that? Why is that? Well, he says, your heart has been, I think your version says hardened. Is that right? Your heart is hardened. Why? Because your hearts have been hardened. Another way of translating that word is calloused. Callous. Do you know what a callous is? Um, when I was going through theological college as a young man, I had to earn some money to pay for my way through college. And so in the Australian summer, uh, which is very humid like here in Malaysia, I, once I worked as a labourer for a plumber and we were digging drains and we digging through rock and there was no machinery then. You had to do it yourself. So my hands became calloused. What does that mean? They became hardened. Is that not right? They became hardened. And, and the more I was doing it, the more hardened they became. So the more I did this, the more hardened it became. The more you refuse to listen, and the more you refuse to hear, your heart becomes harder and harder and harder to when you don't hear at all. Does that make sense? Do you see what the prophet is saying, what the Lord is saying? And that's, that, that's, that's a terrible situation. So you can have name Jewish believer, you can have the name Christian, do you know? And you can be sitting where the word is and the, where the word is shared, but because you have refused to open your heart to that word, and you're just there for other reasons. This is a socially right thing to do. Um, I was born a Christian, you know, whatever it is. Um, but there's no humility and, and, and there's no repentance. Um, I'm really a, a good person myself already. Do you, you, I'm already okay with everything, do you know? And so what's this stuff about judgment and, and repentance? Do, oh, I know people who need judgment and repentance, but that's not me. I'm a really good person compared to them. And so I don't hear the word. And the more you stop yourself from hearing and the more you stop yourself from from seeing, it gets to a point where you are so hard the message doesn't get through. Is that right? Don't we sometimes say to each other, I find it difficult to get through to you. Is that right? Now, husbands, men... Uh, this isn't true of me. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but my wife will say, you never hear what I'm saying. Is that right? Okay. She needs to speak louder, I think. But, <laughs> but it is true, is it not? If you, if you get used to not listening, to switching off. Do you know what we call switching off? Um, in some of my smaller grandchildren, I have tried to find a switch that switches off. They keep talking all the time, but I've never found that switch, right? But, but if you keep switching off gradually without you even knowing it, you see, the callus grew without me even noticing it was growing. It's just a slow process, a slow process. And that's what happens here. If that's where you are, they refuse to understand, they refuse to perceive. They worked hard at rejecting um, so terrible. No humility, no repentance. And you see, even as they're dying without Christ, they don't understand that. 
And even as they're dying without Christ, and this is the wrong path they're going on, they become more and more committed to that wrong path. You know, we have, we have fellow Anglicans in some parts of our world who have given up on God's word. They believe they know better than God's word, and God's word's not really relevant. And Jesus is only one of the many ways, one of the many truths, one of the many lives. Do, do, and they've given up on Jesus as Lord and Saviour. They've put that aside. And even though their churches are shrinking and dying, which is what is happening in reality, do they give up the path they're on? No. They, they, they go stronger on that path of death. Do you know? We as human beings can be crazy. Do you know that? You know, we can know that there's certain actions in my life that are unhelpful, do you know? Certain sinful and temptations that are unhelpful. We can know that and yet we still do it, do you? We all need counselling, huh? I think <laughs> something has to happen to us, right? And we need the Spirit, do we not? To open our eyes and understand what is really taking place here. And that's what this is saying. That's what this is saying. But it's wonderful how God promises through Isaiah where if my people turn and believe, I will heal them. Salvation, God will continue. No matter where we are, God will continue to draw a people to himself. And therefore, Paul says, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. They will listen. It's interesting. I want you to know this is emphatic. This is important. It has been sent to the Gentiles. That means it has actually gone and it's actually producing results. And they are actually listening and the church is growing. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. I've had the privilege last week of meeting with church leaders from Myanmar and different parts of the world where the church is under terrible persecution. But as I've listened to them, the church is growing, you know, in those places. There's lots of people coming to the Lord, lots of little fellowships that are being formed, you know. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Yeah, if you're deaf and can't see, you're not going to be part of that building, do you know? But if your eyes are open and you can see, then the Lord will take and use even you and me for the opening up. This is his plan. This is his purpose. Rejection is not the end of salvation. Rejection is not the end of proclaiming the word of Christ. God is not bound by us. He will continue to work. He will continue to find a people who hear, who listen, a people who are open to the work of the Spirit and a people that he will use to build his church. The last two verses sum it up. He says this. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Two years he was in chains and he shared the gospel we see from tradition we understand that he was then released and for a short time he went about ministry in other parts of Asia, but then he was rearrested and was executed. But what does it finish? It finishes that Paul taught 
and preached concerning the kingdom of God and concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to note, there is no ending to this book. It just stops in mid-air. Am I right? My wife doesn't like movies like that. (laughs) She likes movies that have an ending. I love movies that have no ending. (laughs) So We have a a strange time together, we do. But this just ends in mid-air. It doesn't say, goodbye for now, Luke. You know, it, it... Nothing of that at all. Why? Because we still live in the time of preaching and teaching that Jesus is the Christ. Is that right? The story doesn't have a full stop here. You and I are part of this narrative today. We are part of this. You know, that this, that the, the, the command that Paul as a disciple of Christ had to preach and to teach the gospel the command that he had to talk of the kingdom of God and that Jesus is truly Lord and Christ is still the same command we have today. And we have that same command until the Lord chooses to return. Chooses to return. I hope that as you think about these verses that you will see this is an ongoing story and all the things that you've been learning about how the Spirit worked in the early church are the same thing the Spirit longs to do amongst us. He wants us to be strategic. He he wants us to be open, to be led, looking for gospel opportunities. He wants us to be open to preach and teach where every opportunity comes. He wants us that where there is blockage, yes, there is blockage there, but there's an opening here. Keep looking, keep going. There is no coming to an end and saying, oh well, Malaysia's now finished. No, 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 it's never finished. The Lord will continue to raise up people for himself from every nation and tribe and tongue. But from this morning, there is a warning for us though. Do you have ears that are open and eyes that can see? Or are you on the path to hardening? Do you? It's sad when we meet others who claim to be brothers and sisters who don't hear the word don't see the word, all they can see is themselves and hear themselves. They come every week but nothing occurs. Let us pray as as we pray for each other, as we come week by week. Lord, never let us be calloused. Don't let us become hardened. If we begin on that track, bring a brother or sister alongside who will stick a pin in us. (laughs) You know what I mean? And say, hey, open your eyes, open your ears and that we will grow together and be used by him to his glory. Let me pray. Oh, Father, it's been a great joy and encouragement to read through how you work through the early church. We see, Lord, where they had many problems like we have problems, that the evil one constantly came amongst them to draw them away from their commitment to our Lord Jesus. But your spirit remained faithful and we pray, Lord, that you would so work in our hearts and lives that we are open to your spirit. Lord, may we never grow calloused. May our ears constantly be open to you. May our eyes constantly be open to you. And and not just individually but collectively together that we might be on about what you are on about and that is making Christ known and building the body of Christ here on earth. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake that we ask this. Amen.